Hello and welcome to Twitter Travels for Pete, my adventure of meeting Pete Buttigieg supporters across the country. I'm your host, Sue Ann Rollins. Today I'm in Miami Beach, Florida. But really, I really tried to go to New Orleans to meet up with MJ, who goes by Mayor Pete Fangirl on Twitter. I couldn't help it that she happened to be in Miami Beach this weekend, so I had to go to Miami Beach. Right now we're in my hotel room, which is a suite that's got a a nice little table, and we're looking out. Where? What can we see out the window? The buildings, the beach. Oh, it's the beach. The sunshine. Say hi, MJ. Hi, MJ. Mayor Pete Fangirl (laughs) is here with me. I'm so delighted to have her on Twitter Travels for Pete. I remember seeing you on online. You know, it takes a while for me to get to find people, but I think I remember seeing you maybe around in June. And I don't know if I've got the date right, but I, I know that you were talking about meeting Pete and... Everybody on Pete Twitter, of course, posts if they get to see Pete or Chastin. And this was quite the event in New Orleans. Do you want to talk about how how you got there? Yes, yes. I was able to, um, I was fortunate enough to be uh, given the opportunity to go. And normally candidates don't come to New Orleans so soon. But a lot of the candidates were there for Essence Fest. And afterward, there was a fundraiser. So I got to go and meet a lot of people who were very different than me. Um, We were all pretty much from New Orleans there. Not too many people traveled, um, but they were different ages and different. uh, They were just in a different space in life. And they were the kind of people who could swing, you know, $2,000 for an afternoon. And I don't roll like that. So I was a little intimidated and when I first got there, but so you didn't pay two thousand. So there no. was there was a lower end, but but what you're saying is some of those people did pay two thousand dollars. Yes, mm-hmm. and so it was a little nerve. It was a little nerve wracking. Uh, I didn't know what to expect. I love Team Pete Twitter, but I didn't know how that would translate into real life. And Pete fans are just as genuine, just as great, and just as welcoming and accepting. And that was meeting. Pete fans in person and connecting with Pete fans uh, through Twitter was one of the first times in my life I really felt a sense of belonging. Really? Yeah. So the the internet has that much power. When you're talking about Pete Twitter friends, you felt a sense of belonging with that community. Yes. Um, If we back all the way up to childhood, I... uh, I never really belonged in any of the situations I was put in. Uh, I was born, I come from generational poverty, uh, but then I was able to swing it. My, my grandparents and my mom made it where I could go to a private school, and I certainly didn't fit there. Um, I was always too, too left for the right, too right for the left, too high for the lows, too low for the highs. I just never quite fit uh, in any situation, um, especially growing up in conservative Christianity. Evangelical? Yes, evangelical Christianity. uh, And being someone who by nature is empathetic and a bleeding heart, I didn't 
belong with my community because they were a lot less accepting of others than I ever was. Uh, and so throughout my life, I just sort of shrunk back and tried not to take up too much space or share too many thoughts in fear of losing any sense of belonging that I had, even though it wasn't real. Uh, that's so interesting that you say that because that's the first time I've thought of it that way at how some people hang on to their evangelical faith because that's the only where the only place they belong in any way. So if if you lost that, then where would you be? So even if you didn't believe with the whole the whole package that that you're going to stay with with that. I mean from childhood. Yes. Yeah. It was as much as they preach about unconditional love, acceptance, acceptance into my evangelical community was dependent on conforming to their ways of thinking. And I didn't think like them. I didn't act like them. I wasn't one of them, but I was born into it. And it was my church, my school, my home life. So there was really no escape. Um, so, so being an outsider, yes. feeling like an outsider in the community, but then you did eventually. So you stop going, going to church and you don't yes. consider yourself an evangelical now. No, not at all. And, but uh, it still took time for you to feel like you belonged yes. out, on the outside. Yes, because coming from a religion that was, again, in my experience, cult-like, I didn't know how to, and I didn't belong there. I certainly didn't know how to belong on the outside. Mm -hmm. So like you in your book, Novel Friends, you met people from the internet and you formed relationships with them. I did the same thing through mommy message boards, but I wasn't my whole self. I just showed up enough to kind of be there, but I never developed a sense of community because I wasn't me. And but you were a mom. I, I'm assuming then you had your mom hat on if it was a mommy message board. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so it was kind of easy to just concentrate on, on the kids then and not, not you didn't have to bear your, your own soul, right? Yes. But, so on Pete Twitter, what is it about? So is it the, is it, how much of it is Pete, Pete's influence on the, what are we? We're supporters, right? But, but some of us, we could be super fans. I guess we could be considered that, but Pete supporters. And what is it about the Pete supporters and specifically Twitter, because that's where you hang out, that makes you feel that sense of belonging? Um, I think it was my decision. Well, I think it starts with Pete. Everything comes from the top. Right. So in his messaging and his... Uh, his inclusivity made me feel drawn to him. And I took a risk in thinking, well, if he's like this and he's drawing me in, then I, hopefully, the other people that he's drawing in would be the kind of accepting people that, that I like to think of myself as. And so I just dove headfirst into, into Team Pete Twitter and I, immediately felt a sense of belonging and acceptance that I could be my southern dorky self and 
you know, be accepted for who I am and I could share the things that were on my heart and be heard, even if everyone doesn't agree all the time, because that's not the point, you know? Right, but just to be accepted. Yeah, you don't have to agree, but to be accepted and respected, for sure. Yes. And I find that, by and large, the this Pete supporters adhere to the rules of the road and live out these high values that Pete has called us to. So uh, that took me to this summer where I was I got to be in a really dark place and there was a lot going on internally for me and I was suffering from depression without fully realizing it because I'm a mom and I work and I'm busy and I neglected my own mental health and my own self-care and and everything and I ended up uh, just at a really low point and I felt like I didn't have anyone to reach out to, even though I do have a few good friends and I have my husband and I didn't feel like I could turn to anyone because I knew the help that I needed was bigger than any of them could offer me. And knowing that I had a community of people, even though at that point nobody had met me in mm -hmm. real life. Um, We're remote. Right. <laughs> I had a remote group of people that knew who I was and I felt safe enough to turn to. So in this moment, in my darkest time, where I was intimately acquainted with the feeling of uh, people who die deaths of despair. Yeah, Pete use, uses that term. Um, for mental health, deaths of despair, un totally unnecessary. Yeah. And, and I... were feeling that. Yes. Feeling despair. Yes. And uh, I had a... I really had to choose to go get help from professionals or just be done with this life. And... Uh, Part of the reason I had the courage to go get help was because I knew that no matter what happened once I went in, no matter what help I needed, no matter how bad things got, I knew that I could turn back to Team Pete Twitter and have people that would sort of catch me and still accept me in this what obviously was a really low moment I still had, I was suffering from the shame of seeking help and, know, and people knowing that I was at this place. So not only did Team Pete give me the courage to get the help that I needed, but to know that even if I lost everything in my real life, <laughs> I had somewhere I could turn online for support and help and acceptance. And I don't think any of us knew this, that, that we were playing such an important role in your decision-making. So this interview is very important. So what happened that day that you felt such despair? So it was a, um, it was a long time coming and also a very rapid decline. And I, I woke up and 
I just thought, man, I can't keep going like this. I can't keep living like this. Um, it was all normal, typical problems, you know, mom stuff, money stuff. But on top of that, I had been unpacking all of my religious traumas that I had endured through my life and deconstructing my belief system that, you know, when you're taught things like if you if you don't believe in God, you'll go to hell. If you do these sins, you'll go to hell. If you're gay, you'll go to hell. If anything, you know, if you step outside of evangelical Christianity, essentially, you will go to hell. I mean, I was Catholics, Episcopalians, Baptists, none of none of them were heaven bound. It was only and not just that you would go to hell, but you would win the disapproval of everyone and be shunned. Yes. And so in unpacking all of those teachings, the ones that got in my head before I could think for myself, you know, I learned about all this before I learned to tell time or read. So unpacking it all brought a lot of pain and also a lot of healing and also a lot of realizations. And in this unraveling that I was going through, it, it caused me to realize that at 39 years old that I'm a lesbian. And immediately upon realizing that, I guess when my self came out to me, I was like, nope, that's not true. Just <laughs> so almost like, uh, yeah, the, the hardest person to come out to was yourself. Yes. And I was in complete denial. Uh, and I've obviously always been in some level of denial, but it's like that part of me was shoved down so far because I needed it to, because I needed to be accepted. And again, being gay is one of the worst sins you can commit <laughs> for some reason. And so when I realized it, was in early July and I just immediately shoved it out of my head and I was like, there's no way I'm married. I have three kids. I'm good. I love my husband. I'm not you gay. love your husband and three kids. Right. So it's like, of course I'm not gay. But that once that part of me was like, I'm here, it wasn't going away. And it started sort of this just below conscious you know, subconscious uh, civil war within myself for who I was. And I think that contributed a lot to my decline on top of just regular old depression and, mm -hmm. and, and stress. Right. And, and hashtag mom life. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when I, after I was uh, in the hospital and I came back, I can you can you back up because yeah. we don't know how how you went to, you checked yourself in to the hospital. Yes. So so back up a little bit on how you made that decision. I was uh I got up that morning and it just felt like today's the day. Like I didn't I didn't think about it the day before. I didn't have a plan. It's just just kind of you you kind yeah. of like you snapped you. Yeah. And I uh, took my, it. I got my kids to uh, McDonald's for breakfast on the way to school, which was basically uh, like the equivalent of Jackson giving his dog a steak uh, at the end of A Star is Born. 
if you've seen that movie. I <laughs> uh, just thought it was our... It's your goodbye? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. They had no idea, no. of course. They had no idea. I'm sure they knew I was sad because they're pretty intuitive, but no, they have no idea. And to this day, they don't. So whenever they find this podcast, maybe that's how they'll find out. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but I just so I dropped them off at school, and I just thought this was it. Like, I was just done. I just couldn't do it anymore. And I knew that there was help out there. I've encouraged people to get help. I've been there for people. But I didn't feel like the help was there for me. I didn't think it would help me. And uh, it was, I remember driving and I was approaching the hospital and it was like, do I, do I go here or do I just go drive off the bridge? Like what? You didn't call the suicide prevention line, which everybody is told to do. Because no, I didn't know the number. <laughs> and I didn't have the wherewithal to look it up. I wasn't in a, you right. know, I needed, I needed like a 911 kind of, but I wasn't going to call them. Right. But you knew you could go to the hospital. I think uh, some people don't know that's, that's an option. Yes. And I, that's what I ended up doing. I just turned into the hospital parking lot, actually tried from the parking lot to call the psychiatric line to see if there was something that wasn't an emergency 72-hour hold, but something that could take immediate action and help. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that could be. So I ended up going to the hospital and uh, they almost let me go. You weren't convincing enough. Uh-uh. Is that why? What? Because they asked, they have a, I understand they have like form questions and I didn't answer them properly. They wanted to know what my plan was and how long I had been planning. And I was like, I don't have a plan, but I but know But if I leave to- here today, I might do it because yeah. I'm pretty good at coming up with ideas. Yeah. So you must have convinced him that convinced them if you left that you were at great risk. I did. I had to tell him. I said I and I was I was honest. I was like I know that I'm not answering your questions properly, but I am here because I need help, and I don't think I'll make it through the day mm-hmm. if I leave here. Right. And so I stayed, uh, or they transferred me to a behavioral health unit, and so I, that's where I stayed for 72 hours. And had a lot of time to think and reflect and just, that's all it took really was a moment out of my life to give me the perspective and the gratitude and all the things that I needed and the courage to sort of actually come out to myself and admit who I was and then bring that to my husband and, and you know, we're working through that right now. I guess we're in a mixed orientation marriage mm-hmm right now and so far it's working out (laughs) (laughs) well that's good to hear so you you needed that time that was free from the stresses of everyday life free from all the interruptions and the responsibilities to to do that and then you were on your healing journey it's not like immediately you go home and say okay everybody let's party no, yeah, it was it was weird. In some ways, the moment I got out, I was light years better than I had ever been in my entire life. And then in other ways, I knew that the journey of healing was just beginning. And I've been able to, because of the support from Team Pete, I've been able to write about it um, and share my story on a Medium account. I have been able to connect with other people and 
just know that I'm not alone and let other people know that they aren't alone. And I really don't think I would have been able to do that without having this core group of people where I finally knew what it was like to belong. Yeah, I, I read your piece on Medium. It's, it's powerful about that whole experience. And there's a lot of detail and, you know, that experience of the 72-hour hold. And before that, you had a website and a blog, and now it's over on Medium. Is that true? Yes. But I forgot to say that's how uh, I got to know you better was uh, because I wrote something for your Why Pete blog. You were asking for submissions, and I thought, oh, that's great. I love writing about Why Pete. So I did my story for you, and, and you put it up there. And I think that as a writer, you know, you have a special role to be able to really communicate in, in a deep way, the things that things that are happening and, and what you wrote there about your own experience, which you said was really hard for you to do. Not hard to write, hard to publish, but it helps so many people to, to know that because like, oh, somebody else had this experience and, and, and who knows, maybe somebody already just went to the emergency room instead of, of taking action. You, you have no way of knowing. I uh, hope so. That's what I would tell anyone who was contemplating taking their own life is just go somewhere for three days, you know, like that's mm -hmm. all I needed. <laughs> and, uh, you needed self care and you've written a book about self care and, uh, it's called as you love yourself. I'm looking at it right now, 30 days of devotion to you. And I was thinking, Oh, you wrote this after your experience, but in fact you had written it the first draft anyway, before. Yes. I um, I just had this idea. I've seen a lot of religious devotionals where there's, you know, a quote or a, Bi a, a Bible verse, right? Yes. So um, this is basically like a religious devotional, but it's devoted to you and your own self-care and your own self-love. And I mean, I basically wrote it for me to try to heal. So it was a cathartic process, yes. but one that other people can also use. Yes, I hope so. Um, and I wrote it during a depression and, and in a decline. And so when I first went to edit it, some of these things I would, I would read and I would just write on the reflection pages, I don't feel this. I, it's, it's like I know these things are true and this is good advice, but it doesn't feel true to me. I don't, I don't have it. So as a writer, did that bother you? Yes. Did you think, how can I put something out like this that is bogus? Absolutely. Absolutely. But then what you were modeling, I guess not modeling, that could be the right word, but how someone would be using your book and they would be feeling that way. And that is actually the, you know, the reality of the process, how, you know, anyone doing that, you know, if they felt like they really needed to work on self-love, they probably have some problems with it and that would be something that would be you know, if they were truthful with themselves would write but then did that change did you yes later on change the way you felt or did you change the way you wrote it yes and yes mm -hmm. um later on once i after i had my low point and came back to it and looked at it with fresh eyes and a much more whole heart I was able to phrase things in a way that I wanted to hear when I was at my lowest, but didn't even have the words because I was at a low point. And then I was able to see this as something that 
could be a tool that was that would help people, you know, no matter where they are on their on their journey towards self-love and self-acceptance. So as a writer, you had to write it in a way where you were loving that the self, this this other person, so not not you for for your reader and knowing that you had to phrase it in a way that would would be nurturing and caring. Yes. I'm not a f- I'm, I don't subscribe to the school of thought where self-help people kind of like the ones that shake you and you just have to try harder yes (laughs) um because if trying hard was the answer i would be way better off you know Mm -hmm. it's not that easy (laughs) no it's not it's not that easy and that's what i that's what i want to convey is that i am someone who has been there i am writing this from a place of this helped save my life too you know this helped Mm -hmm. me get to a a place of wholeness Mm -hmm. as well how can people get your book on Amazon? Amazon. Mm-hmm. It's called As You Love Yourself, 30 Days of Devotion to You. Yes. Mindy Corkin. You know what? I have to ask why, Pete, you've mentioned already about the belonging part of uh, Pete. As uh, Anything else you'd like to say about why Pete should be president? Oh, Yes. Um, I mean, how really, much time you got? Right. I know that's the same with all of us. <laughs> it's, it's the big picture. There are a lot of good plans. Most of the candidates running are, they agree on the major issues. That's a reason why they're Democrats. Um, and it's just a matter of being able to have the vision, the the vision to move beyond one or two election cycles, the leadership style that can unify and bring people together. Because if you can have the best laid plans, but if half the country hates you or you're constantly fighting to get laws passed because you have these grand ideas, which are great for eventual goals, but if you're trying to bring them all together now, you're gonna spend so much time fighting and that's gonna be more and more time that average people like me suffer. So while I am for big, bold, structural change, I'm for it in a way that it gets done because people agree they want it done. And when I talk to people all across the political spectrum, if you just talk about the goals, even the most ardent Trump supporters I know want everyone to have access to affordable health care. They just don't want the government to take over. Mm-hmm. And it's like eventually the goal will be that it's a single payer system, but they just need to be able to trust that, they need to be able to trust the process. And a lot of people have lost trust in the process and I feel like Pete can restore our trust mm-hmm. in the process and uh, and the way that he that he does this, like the, the way that he's talking about doing it, is a different sort of leadership style, too. Very inclusive, mm-hmm. um, servant leader. Yes, he wants to lift other people up. Um, he has more women in you know in positions. higher positions mm-hmm. uh, than I don't know about any of the other campaigns, but I know that you don't see that kind of diversity, uh, and he, 
he really connects with people. He, his, uh, his seemingly contradictory views or, you know, spaces in the uh, positions in life. So Pete doesn't fit into any of the boxes of the uh, usual person or candidate. Yes. Yeah, because he's like super liberal, but very Christian. Mm-hmm. He served overseas in the military and studied overseas at Oxford. He's, you know, he's like a, a walking, uh, the, the dichotomy in his life is something that a lot of people don't have. We don't have that many extreme differences, or maybe we do, but we don't acknowledge them. We just... Right, he's not the norm. And we categorize people. You know, I know how I'm seen. And one of the things Pete says a lot is the more you know about exclusion, the more you think about belonging. And despite what I might come across as, I am a person who knows a lot about exclusion. So I think a lot about belonging. And when there are millions of people who don't feel like they belong in their homes, in their communities, or in their country, it's the basis for a lot of our problems. Oh, definitely. And And he's the only one who's addressed that. Yes. He really gets to, I think, the root of these issues. And I think someone who knows these things is the only kind of person who can really enact the change. Mm -hmm. And now you know what it feels like to belong. And uh, I'm I'm so amazed that it was, it's Team Pete on Twitter. And I I said before, we had no, I'm pretty sure it's that most people did not know how important we were to your sense of belonging. And I'm really happy to be part of that and happy to meet you today. Well, thank you. And I'm very happy that you went to the hospital and that you didn't decide to do something else, that you are here with us today. Um, thank that's you. That's such a, a beautiful story, and thank you for sharing s- such a personal story with us. I think it's very helpful for any other person who might be in a similar place to feel like, you know what, you can come out of it. Yes, definitely. It's um, It was a tough decision to make, um, but the alternative, there was no coming back from. And, uh, you know, I am glad to have felt that sense of belonging through Team Pete, which has given me the courage to be, to show up as my full self in other areas. So I have since made better friends. Um, I'm involved in another uh, community that's kind of former evangelicals. And uh, I feel belonging there. So belonging in the in the real real life, as we call it, and you know, there's online and in real life. So it's yes. extended beyond. Yes, it has, and I'm very grateful for that. And that's what I love about Team Pete. It's like never change. Continue to show up with your full, yes, you know, nerdy, amazing, we, hilarious yeah. self. We're pretty nerdy. That's true. But what's next for you? Uh, Do you have another writing project? I am going. Mind? Yes, I am going to combine my passion for self-love and my evangelical upbringing into a sort of part memoir, part self-help to help my fellow former evangelicals 
learn self-love because uh, I don't know how anyone else was taught. I don't know if people are teach. I don't know if people who grew up outside of Christianity like that evangelical Christianity are taught self-love or not, but we were taught self-loathing. Oh, okay. That's and so we, there's a, so that has to be all unlearned. I think that sounds like a fabulous idea for a book. And there are many people out there who would be interested in that. Well, good luck. Well, Thank I'll be you. keeping in touch with you online, Mayor Pete Fangirl, <laughs> MJ. Thank you so much for talking to me today. So before we go, we have to wish Pete well and his, we know he's going to be president, but we still have to say, go Pete. Ready? Go, go Pete. Thanks for listening to Twitter Travels for Pete. Everyday people excited about Pete Buttigieg for president. I wonder where I'll be going next. <laughs> <laughs>